This is some time ago, one of my nephews, he's a young man now. He was about six or seven, maybe seven, and uh, my older brother had a boat, and there was a big inner tube, and he was riding it, I think for the first time alone, being pulled behind the boat with this inner tube. Well, the, the little guy had grown up with his dad, he was, a, he was a big water ski guy, and so he had spent the first seven years of his life riding around on this boat, getting the hand signals down. So the hand signals are, if you're being pulled by a boat and you want to go faster when you're skiing, you're on an inner tube or whatever, you go like this, and you go faster, you want him to slow down, you go like that. If you want him to take you side to side outside the wake, you go like this, and if you want him to go in a full circle, you go like this. So those are your hand moves. So the little guy's got a down cold. He's in the boat. He's like, oh, he's, he's got his whole thing. Gets back there on the, on the inner tube. Dad's dragging him along through the water, going at the, the slowest possible speed that you can without the thing just being like this. So you've got to go fast enough for the, for the inner tube to actually break the plane at right level. So about eh, 10 miles an hour is about where you do this. So he's kind of like this kind of thing. And, He's giving this strange hand signal like this. <laughs> Eventually, Dad stops the boat and pulls him in and says, Connor, what, what does this mean? And he goes, Dad, this means whoa. This means whoa. So <laughs> that, that he meant slow down, like whoa, whoa. When God means whoa, though, he doesn't mean slow down. God means change your life. Whoa, like when God says whoa, there's an eternal woe. Eternal woe to the fallen angels. Eternal woe to all those fallen human beings who have joined the fallen angels. A never-ending woe. A woe beyond our, our worst, worst nightmare. For a never-ending eternity. That's the woe that God speaks of. And today he's describing, wow, 21st century America and the world to a T here. Talking about... <clears throat> These people who are rich are filled now, or uh, they speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in the same way. You know, the people that are in power, the people that are the, the patrons and the benefactors of the superculture sort of thing. As Jesus says, you're woe to you who are filled now. He's saying to those who are sort of this poor and destitute for him, not just the poor because they're just materially poor, but stand a little beside that sunlight's just nailing it. Not those who are just poor because they happen to be materially poor sort of thing, but those who are poor in spirit for the kingdom of God. For those, he he said, uh, blessed are those who are weeping, you'll be laughing. And then this, this thing he says, this is the thing that just has to jump off the page. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude and insult you and denounce your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy on that day. Behold, your reward will be great in heaven. So, you know, when they call you, I'm just saying this is stuff that I see all the time. You're called a racist and you're not a racist. It's just, it's just thrown on you to discredit you or to damage your reputation. Or you're called a, a, a homophobe or you're called a bigot or you're called whatever because you're standing with Jesus. You're standing with Jesus. 
I guess these people get to have power and they get their own sense of consolation and whatever that comes from this. But woe to them. Woe to those who falsely accuse other people of being a bad person. They falsely accuse other people of being a bad people too to damage their reputation. So that's called calumny, which is a form of slander. When I intentionally say something false about you to damage your reputation, that slander, it's grave evil, and God doesn't forget. We live in this world that's just filled with this culmany, this whole thing, and this kind of superstructure away from God. Just this worldwide religion of materialism. Materialism, well, what is that? Materialism is, I have to be able to see it, to touch it, to count it, to measure it, etc., for it to be real and for me to give it any credit. And since I can't see God or touch Him or measure Him or hear Him, I get to dismiss Him as if He doesn't exist. But God is the one who created the material order in the first place. He's the reality that undergirds time and space and all things. And yet the world completely rejects and ignores Him. And when we reject and ignore reality itself, the creator of reality, and then after a while, we can't count anymore. We're at $30 trillion of debt. We were 24 when I came here like seven years ago. We're at 30 now, and you know it'll never be paid off, and it'll crash. We don't know the difference between men and women. We don't know the difference between babies and human beings. We don't know the difference between the truth and the lie. Because we've rejected reality itself. We've rejected God. And the people with the power and the people with the wealth or the popularity or whatever they've got, they get to be the avant-garde of popular culture. They're getting their reward now. And for those who might have the courage to stand up to it, I guess they, they get denounced. Jesus says... They exclude and insult you and denounce your name as evil on the account of Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy. So this is my next thing. Rejoice to be able to suffer for God. I know we don't like to suffer. Suffering is no fun. Nobody likes to suffer. We're fleeing from suffering. All things in nature flee from suffering. God put it on us not to like suffering. That's why we can feel pain. Because that way we can flee from it if we can feel it. Not just physical pain, but emotional pain and the pain of loneliness or rejection or depression. Those kinds of, we're always running from suffering. But when it's Jesus on the cross and he's saying, will you come up here with me? Don't, don't say no. Embrace whatever suffering it is that, that God is asking of you. And I'm the first to say that's hard to do. It's really hard to do. But this kind of self-denial, this kind of rejoice and leap for joy in that day when people are culminating you, saying lies about you to damage your reputation, to destroy you. Rejoice and leap for joy on that day. That's like totally crazy. Because on that day, you're being Jesus who endured all those things. And then after his suffering was too much and he died, he rose from the dead and redeemed the human race. So our suffering, what this suffering does is it, 
that we willingly enter into for the love of God and the love of neighbor is something that brings us into a deeper communion with God, a deeper communion with Christ, and it also redeems. It does something good that we can't see or understand. So, here's this little thing I want to say. Don't be afraid of suffering for Jesus. In fact, embrace it. Embrace it. And again, I'm raising my hand and saying it's hard to do. But I know it's a reality because I've read enough lives of the saints who keep doing this. They keep embracing suffering. So they come to realize who Jesus is, what God is, the life they should be living in terms of the virtues, etc. But that's not enough. Satan and the fallen angels know all those things. What these saints do is they love God by showing them how much they're willing to suffer for him. And so they fast on bread and water, they take cold baths, they might place a pebble in their shoe, they might wear a hair shirt hidden from the world, they might deny themselves a full night's sleep regularly, they might completely befriend somebody that nobody else likes because this person is insulting and a jerk and whatever, but you're, they're lonely as all get out and you're doing this for love of God and neighbor. All these sufferings, these sufferings that nobody can see, these are the things that transform. These are the things that Jesus will see, say, behold, your reward will be great in heaven. It will be great in heaven. Not saying on earth, but in heaven, it will be great. And there will be no regret for there will be no regret for whatever sacrifices that we make for God in this life. But there will be great regret for those sacrifices that we didn't make. And we've only got one shot. I finish with this image. This image. So think of just the multitudes of angels that God created. So we're talking about billions of angels. So tradition holds that that God will stop. God doesn't make angels anymore. There was a period of time in quotation marks where God made angels and then he stopped making angels. There's a period of time in which God is making human beings and then he'll eventually stop making human beings. And just as there's a fixed number of angels, one day there will be a fixed number of people Right now, there's 7.4 billion on earth. How many have ever been conceived, let alone born in the past? How many will be conceived into the future? I don't know. But we're talking many billions. But here's the thing. So here's what tradition holds. Is that the number of people created that will eventually make it to heaven, and not all people do, but those who will make it to heaven will replace the one-third of angels that fell. And so when you look at our numbers, you multiply them by three, and that's the number of angels. And a third of those angels fell. So when we get to heaven, we'll be outnumbered two to one by angels. My point being that God made an enormous number of angels in the multitudes of billions of angels within the nine choirs of angels. Those angels, the ones who live in heaven, live in a kind of absolute wonder wonder peace, wonder happiness, for eternity without a moment 
of there being anything other than this incredible happiness and peace. And why is that? Because they're with the infinite God who eclipses them totally in knowledge and love and power. They have nothing to ever worry about again. And they're just ensconced in the love of God. If you and I can think like that, then that's where I'm going. That's my real life. It's that life. That's the eternal life. This life is over so fast, it's ridiculous. That's, real, that's reality. This is like a dream, an illusion. That I think it helps us to be more courageous to make sacrifices for Jesus. To stand against human praise. And to stand with the praise of God in heaven. And to be strengthened to offer sacrifices to God that are seen only by God. And to do it out of great love for God and great, great love for neighbor. And finally, to trust that those sacrifices are redeeming the world. That they're doing something phenomenal that we can't see right now. But we will see one day. One day when we reach that place that I've just described. That place of never-ending infinite happiness for eternity.